0: On our podcast, we'll share our rich 35 years of experience in designing strategies, share clients' experiences, and introduce resources that have positively impacted our clients. We trust that you will enjoy our direct, transparent, and realistic approach to positively impacting the quality of you and your family's lives. Now, on to the show. Hello,
1: and welcome to Opus Private Clients Well-Style Podcast with Russ Carpentieri. Good afternoon, Russ. How are you? I'm great, Eric. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fantastic, and and I'm excited about today's guest. Can I introduce him? Absolutely. All right. Today's guest is Tom Patry, one of Golf Magazine's Top 100 Teachers in America. He has been a leading voice in golf instruction for more than 30 years. His first book, The Six-Spoke Approach to Better Golf Learning, received rave reviews when released in 2003. He is currently working on his second book. There are too many honors to list in an intro, But I will tell you this, he was named one of Golf Tips magazine's top 25 teachers in America. And that's just one of so many honors. Russ, I could be here for the entire podcast listing Tom's accomplishments and achievements and accolades. Uh, So, why did you bring Tom on the show today?
2: You know, I wanted to uh, bridge the gap of amateur golfers and people who were trying to get to the next level and expose them to. Tom and his methodologies and you know he's, he's done great work with collegiate players pro players amateur players and I just thought you know golfers
1: would really appreciate appreciate hearing his point of view that is fantastic Tom thank you so much for being on the show
3: Eric it's a real pleasure to be on the show Russ how are you doing po?
2: I'm doing great buddy how the fish biting down in the keys
3: we had, a, we had kind of a slow day today uh, so I'm going gonna, gonna to talk about that too much because I'm still crying about that so what's uh, going on for
2: the next topic <laughs> okay fair enough uh, so I've you know uh, Tom I've known you 25 years and you know my, my sports background and I think that uh, there's only a handful of I think teaching professionals and coaches that can transfer knowledge into usable actions right for someone to be able to say Okay, I get that, and I I got that from you. The first time I stepped on Westchester Country Club, we were there, and you asked me what I was here for, and I said I don't really understand the principles of a golf swing. And you looked at me and said that's rather refreshing. But if you, you if you want to get better, you need to do what I tell you to do and how uh, I I tell you to do it. And I agreed to do that, and it's been. A great journey, a great friendship. I referred you to a lot of people. They all come back and said, wow, that guy is fantastic. But I I wanted to kind of ask you just some questions that I think a lot of people would really love to get your your take on. The first one is, what's the greatest technological advances in golf that you've seen in the last five years? Equipment, balls, just, you know, what is it?
3: That's a a great question. Uh, And first of all, people listening out there, I had a big advantage with you because of your sports background. You brought a lot of athleticism to my team, so you made my job a lot easier, Russ, so I appreciate that. But as far as technical changes in the last, well, at least during my career, the single biggest change has been the golf ball. I mean, if people look back at the golf ball that I played with in college, uh, and even my first two or three years playing professionally out of school, uh, which was a... A Titleist ball at 392 compared to the Pro V1 today. It was it was a marshmallow. I mean, it was, it's really we kind of laugh about it. I had uh, my podcast on Instagram Live was on Thursday nights, and I had Dave Moore, the president of Titleist, Song last Thursday night, and we we, we were kind of commiserating about the, the evolution of the golf ball and the generations of golf balls that Titleist has gone through since 1981 when I graduated from school. And it's amazing the amount of dollars that went into R and D, the science that goes into the golf ball. And how far it's come in the last twenty-five years since you and I have been together. So the single biggest change has been the golf ball, hands down.
2: You watch the uh, you know the U.S. Open at Wingfoot, and you see Bryson launching these you know balls over trees and nine iron in. Let's just talk a little bit about clubs, right? Just the proper club, proper shaft. A lot of people just go in and buy something off the rack, right? But if you really want to get good, there's got a, there's a there's a method to kind of figuring out the right clubs for yourself.
3: Yeah, absolutely, Rush. That's a great point. I mean, I, I can't I, I can't fathom the fact that in 2020, with all the things that we've learned in the last, again, 25 years since you and I have been together, that anybody out there who plays golf on a regular basis has not had their equipment fitted. I mean, it, it's mind-boggling to me with, with the technology, the launch monitors, TrackMan, video, and all the technology that's at our fingertips today, and what we know about fitting that anybody would invest money in a set of golf clubs, which is, which is no cheap endeavor. Let's face it, a good set of golf clubs is, is not cheap. Why you would do that and not have them fitted? A lot of people feel like not, they don't play well enough to have fitted clubs. It's on the contrary. The fitted club, the, you know, the lower the skill level, the more important the fit is. You, know, you, put, a, you put a non-fitted club in Freddie Couple's hands, and he's going to figure it out in 15 minutes. He can, hit, you know, he can hit your wife's five iron and figure it out in 15 minutes how to time that. He's so good. But, you know, the, the, the average player benefits more from fitted equipment than even the tour player. So anybody that's out there listening and doesn't have a set of fitted clubs in their bag or, or clubs haven't been checked or fitted should do that almost immediately.
2: Yeah. It, it made, I just think about all the clubs that I started with, Henry Griffiths, and, right. you know, because I could get the ball up off the ground and then started to kind of migrate down and, it's a it's a big thing my kids tell me that the only reason they haven't been able to beat me even though there's an age gap is because of (laughs) technology right i said well, it's a little more than that but they're they're not too far off right i mean you know you tweak those clubs and it's a it's a huge it's a huge difference tom along the lines of technology can you share a little bit about what you're doing teaching people virtually um and kind of the advantage of of you know what what that's meant to people really all over the country and the world that employ you that way, and what kind of you know feedback are they getting with you know those types of programs that are out there
3: yeah thanks Chris. that's that's a you're teeing that one up for me I appreciate that uh as you know I have a a v1 v1 is a a video app on online teaching academy uh, they can people people out there can access through my website or learn about it through my website. Uh, and v1 is a technology that i started with in about 1992 and it's it's evolved and come light years in that period of time you know it used to be setting up multiple video uh, cameras on a, on a teaching tee with multiple boxes and wires that had to be attached and it was it was a big long process and now they can load it on their iphone or their ipad right now i'm teaching 150 people aside from my regular students around the world and i mean literally around the world japan europe uh, I've got a guy in Sydney, Australia, South America, you know, in this country, California, Hawaii, British Columbia in Canada that I've never met in my life and I never will meet. We have a teaching relationship using a V1 app. You can send me uh, via the app, your, your golf swing your putting stroke, a sand shot, a chip shot, whatever you want, whatever you want analyzed. And I can break that down, uh, upload that video, trim the video, digitize the video and open the microphone and, and give you a golf lesson. Record it and send it to you. I've got 450 drills I filmed in a TV studio that I can upload. I can overlay uh, images onto your film. I can side by side you with the tour player. I can side by side with you, with prior film you've sent me, comparing three weeks ago to this week. It's amazing the power of this tool. And I, I do two. I do three things. I, I do single analysis. I do a, a six-month unlimited plan, and I do a two-year unlimited plan. Uh, some of these relationships are ongoing for years and years now. And, and I've taught people that, I like I said, I'll never meet in my life. And then aside from that, Russ, all my, all my junior players, my college players, uh, my professional players, and a lot of my more serious golfers subscribe to it as well because it's a way for them to check in in between lessons and say, Coach, I've been working on those drills we worked on two weeks ago. Uh, it's two weeks until I see you again. Here's what I've been doing. How does this look? Am I, am I heading in the right direction here? It's a great tool, a great tool.
2: Right. Right. So, you know, when I when I go up to the range, because, you know, I'm an over like at points, you'd say, Russ, you're practicing too much. You're not playing enough. But I love to hit golf balls. I get on the range. I get up there and I see people get there, basically pull their driver out, no stretching, nothing. And just start, you know, whacking away. Can you just talk about kind of the ultimate? practice regimen what people should be doing how to prepare i mean golf is not an easy sport from a torque perspective on your body and and, and maybe just say what do the pros do but just generally what should an amateur be doing and what should a pro be do you know what what do pros do and how much time should they be spending on different
3: clubs to really kind of make a difference that's a great that's a great question russ and russ just again for the people out there let's share share something with them that they don't know you punted in college did you not i did and then you punted in the NFL, did you not?
2: I did, and place kicked. But yes.
3: Okay. So, would you have ever thought about, you know, just launching a punt without stretching your hamstrings for some period of time? No. Okay. And why wouldn't you do that?
2: Because I would, I would pull up, I would pull a muscle. I wasn't warmed up, and it would be just a terrible motion.
3: Right. So, I'm sixty. I hate to admit this to you, Russ. I'm about to be sixty-two next week. And and I uh, I get up every morning and I stretch for between 15 and 30 minutes, either before or after a hot shower, extensively because if I didn't do that, I, I couldn't make a golf swing that day. Not only could I not make a golf swing, but the biggest fear I have is like you just said, the torque on the body is amazing in a golf swing. So the number one injury on the PGA tour is L4 five, which is you know our lower back, and then we have you know, we have multiple shoulder types of injuries, hip injuries. Elbows, rototops, I can go on and on, but they're all part of professional golf. And for the person I teach on a day-to-day basis in in South Florida right now, I'm teaching a lot of seniors, you know, a lot of guys 50 and older, a lot of women 50 and older, who are are trying to get better at the game. And everybody wants to hit it further. You know, they want more speed. And without flexibility, it's not going to happen. But more important than the performance of their golf swing is keeping them off the injured reserve list. So they can come back and take another lesson and work on their golf game so it's really easy really easy in golf if you're not warmed up properly not stretched not pliable and not flexible to you know to hurt something usually lower back it could be a hamstring or a groin it could be a shoulder situation so flexibility pliability in in the golf swing not only for performance purposes but for to keep you off the injured reserve list is, is vital is absolutely vital what
2: should people start with? Start with their, their their wedges and then work up to obviously their mid irons, maybe some long irons. Driver and probably your woods are probably the least, but we all know that the uh, the putter is where where all the activity is,
3: right? Yeah, yeah. So barring short game for just a second, you know, my, my normal warm-up routine on an odd and even basis is every day I stretch before I hit golf balls. Even if I stretch in the morning at home rest, before I hit golf balls on on, on the if i'm going to practice after work in the afternoon i try to hit golf balls every day before i leave work so if i if i teach from and i usually teach from eight in the morning until about six at night in florida in the winter agreement with myself is i'm going to hit at least 50 to 75 golf balls before i leave work that day no matter how tired i am so i'll stretch for about 15 or 20 minutes and on let's say so i'll just do it this on monday wednesdays and fridays i'll hit wedge and then i'll hit all the odd numbered clubs on tuesday you know thursday and saturday I'll stretch and then hit all the even-numbered clubs. Over a two-day period, I've touched every golf club in my bag, but I always start from short and work to long. Any anytime I practice. Got it.
2: And putter is what forty-seven percent of our strokes, something like
3: that, 40, some crazy 40, number. Well, statistically, it's forty-three percent of golf. So on that side, which is a great point, Russ. Here's the other agreeing with myself: when I get to my first lesson of the day, which is either eight or nine a.m., say. I get to work about an hour early. It takes me about 30 minutes to set my tee up, all my, all my technology on the tee and my toys. And I always get there an hour early because the other 30 minutes I putt every morning. I have a putter in my hand every day of the week, seven days a week. Uh, I putt for 30 minutes a.m. And then any time I get a cancellation during the week, and, you know, in a normal week, I might get one or two cancellations. That time is always chipping and pitching or bunker play. So, you know, I, I make sure over a seven-day period I've really touched every club in my bag, but I've, every, I've also touched every type of shot in my bag in a seven-day period because, you know, when people take playing lessons from you, for me as a teaching professional, credibility is a big deal. Nobody likes to go out and see the, once your club pro shoot 80. That's not really good for your credibility. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's, well, my, part of it's my ego and part of it's my pride. I want to go out there and maintain a standard. So I want to be prepared to do
1: that
2: yeah so i want to shift this a little bit now towards business and and family and you you and i have exchanged some really really great kind of business success stories out there i mean for me golf is relaxation right i compete all day and i like to get out there and play golf and just you know kind of relax through it i don't mind a competitive match but it's kind of my haven but maybe talk a little bit about golfing with someone kind of shows their true character, personality, and integrity, right? When you're out on the golf course, it's kind of the equalizer. Maybe you can just share a little bit about that.
3: You know, I've always said, you know, I I had a mentor in my life named Jim Flick, and for people who follow golf closely, Jim Flick, if you don't know who he was, passed away by five years now, but Jim was one of the really uh, iconic people in teaching nationally in this country, uh, taught Tom Lehman, taught a million tour players, And Jim said to me as a young man, if if you want to know somebody, Tom, from a business standpoint, just play nine holes of golf with them, the true person will come out in in the course of nine holes. You'll figure out who they are real quickly. And it's so so true. So I've always used that as a barometer. If somebody uh, came to me with a a business deal or business proposition that was really important to me or a fair amount of dollars were going to change hands, I always made sure before I finalized that deal that I was going to spend some time on the golf course with them, play you know nine holes with them, and and just kind of kind of watch how they behave because it's going to come out. We we we're blessed, rusty, with a game where integrity and and the moral composition is a big part of this game historically. And when I teach my kids to play golf, my juniors, my my college players, uh, one of the things I insist on is a certain type of behavior. Uh, parents come to me and everybody everybody thinks their kid is going to be Tiger Woods, well that's not the case, obviously. And they have high aspirations for their child and my, my first aspiration is to become that they turn that kid into a decent human being they get a great education and they, and they and they contribute to society in a positive way so uh, that's something that's always at the top of my list on my yellow yeah. legal pad you know and i want to cross those t's and dot those i's
2: right and, and i've you know you and i have done some deals together where i bought in some clients and i said you know what everyone loves golf and if i can from a business perspective get them to spend some time with you, four, six, eight people. It's a, it, it's unbelievable, right? They kind of come back and say, wow, that was really great. And again, it's because,
3: you know, you I, I, appreciate, have, I, appreciate I appreciate that. Yeah, you
2: happen to have as a handful, a handful of uh, teachers, in my opinion, that really can again transfer that information, which is really kind of critical uh, in the game. So um, a couple more questions. Do you think a lot of golfers just feel they're not good enough to to play with other better golfers are they like embarrassed do they feel like they have to compete at a high level but you know a lot of people don't play in member guests or friendly events uh is it just because you know they feel like they have to hit the ball uh, you know a million miles down the fairway straight as an arrow but it's a social game but you know i'm just curious your your, your viewpoint on different level people playing at a foursome and does it happen a lot or not really
3: Russ, I think that's a great question. I mean, I, I have a lot of people that come to me that are, you know, iconic in the business world and they're embarrassed about their athletic ability, that they're not as talented as Russ or Tom is. And maybe, you know, we don't belong in that foursome. You know, I don't want to hold anybody up. I think one of the things I, I preach to people all the time is golf doesn't leave anybody on the bench. That's the one thing that's so great about this game at the club level. You know, we have different sets of T's. We have a thing called the handicap system. I, I explain to everybody when they start playing the game that, listen, Nobody starts out this game initially as a superstar. Uh, everybody starts out with the same struggles. It's a hard game. The first two years of this game uh, and getting you know getting over those first couple of hurdles is, is not easy. So I encourage them to get out there and play with their friends and, and you know understand what team markers they should be playing some and that they shouldn't establish a handicap at the club and it's going to take some time and I encourage their friends to have some patience with them and remind those people that listen, you were in that boat not so long ago yourself, you know so how about giving this guy a break and getting him out there with you and, and exposing him to a great game and 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 sharing that camaraderie that, that goes along with this wonderful game
2: yeah that's very true and um, you know introducing kids into the game of golf and I know that you have a lot of guys and gals that you you coach and then all of a sudden I see your occasionally I'll see like a eight or nine year old kid right next to you maybe just spend a little time on how families come together and playing golf and you know how important
3: that is. It's awesome, Russ. I I have a family that I work with this past summer in in, in Indiana in the in, in Indianapolis area, and uh, the uh, father's played golf 15 years, and he's pre- he's pretty good golfer. He's about a seven handicap, and he plays pretty nicely. And his wife expressed some interest; she had never played before, and then his son, who uh, Ryan, who's uh, who's 11 this year, wanted to play too. So they he brought them out, and we got them started this summer, and and uh, they both kind of drank the Kool-Aid a little bit and got into it and, and, you know, got them, by the end of summer, we got them to where they could hit some shots and get the ball in the air and advancing around the golf course. I took them out for their first nine holes and it kind of exposed them to the, the etiquette of the game and how to, you know, how to behave on the golf course. And, and they're actually going away in their first golf vacation this winter together uh, to Hilton head. So, you know, what a, what a great family activity and what, you know, what a gratifying thing for me to, to watch that happen to a family. And that's clear. That's probably happened a, a thousand times. So, yeah. anytime you can bring a family together in this environment man how good is that right I mean, there's nothing better
2: yeah well i took my two boys steph and nick uh when nick graduated college and i said where do you want to go we always do a trip and he wasn't sure and i said why don't we go to pebble beach and his eyes lit up and they said yes we're going to pebble beach long story short we went to pebble we played you know spyglass spanish bay and we we finished up at, uh, at pebble and we were on the tee And I looked to the left and you know, they're pretty militant about getting off the tee. I looked to the left and I saw kind of an elderly gentleman shuffle out. I said to the starter, just wait a second. I said, boys, drop your clubs, follow me. We went there, got up in front of the individual. And I said, uh, Mr. Palmer, I said, I'm out here with my boys and one graduated. And I just, "Would, would you mind taking a picture with us? He said, absolutely not. He took a picture with him and asked Nick all sorts of questions about his degree and where did he finish in school and and stefan and we walked away and said you guys you were in you were in the midst of a legend i said and, and, and the nice one of the nicest legends i know you were very close to him uh it's the last page in our book that we made and it's something i think they'll they'll never forget
3: yeah arnold was a, arnold was a friend and uh was very very kind to me during my years at florida southern and, and then after florida southern and actually as you know, Russ, I named my son Palmer Jackson after Arnold's, um, yeah. and we miss him. We miss him very, very much. But let me let me tell the the listeners one more thing. Uh, a number of years ago, a guy named Russ Carpenter brought his two boys to a Tom Patrick golf school in Naples, Florida, and I had never met those boys before. And then after spending three days with those two boys and their father, it was very clear to me how lucky those two boys are are to have that father and how much he cares and loves them. So. Don't sell yourself short, big man. You're, you're a hell of a human being, and you got you raised two incredible boys.
2: Oh, thank you, buddy. Last question. Two questions. If you had to have a dream foursome, and uh, it would be let's call it the kind of the elder crowd, who would it be?
3: Well, it, it'd be it'd be pretty easy. It'd be Bobby Jones, Arnold Palmer, and Seve Ballesteros. Uh, Bobby Jones has always been a childhood uh, hero of mine, and, and I, I'm really blessed. I've gotten to be very close friends with. Bob Jones the fourth his grandson so through him I've learned so much more than I even learned out of a book and then Arnold obviously has always been an icon in my life and and became a friend and somebody I was blessed to be in the presence of a couple of times and then Seve was a student of mine a couple of times during my Westchester years and we became friendly and uh, right up to his passing at too young of an age so that's kind of my dream group uh, to to unite those those different generations together and go play with those three heroes but the Maybe sometime, someday, when they put me in the box, I'll meet up with them again. That that'll be a possibility. And and how
2: about how about uh, existing tour players not on the senior tour? Who would you want to play with?
3: Well, obviously, obviously, uh, you know, who wouldn't want to play around the off with Tiger Woods? I mean, that would be uh, that would be probably you know you'd have to, you'd be lying if you didn't say that was one of the one of the people. This kid Colin Morikawa really impresses me, Russ. Uh, his demeanor, yeah. his, his his maturity. I'm really fascinated by him. And the third one's kind of a hard toss-up, but I'm a big Ricky Fowler fan. Mm-hmm. I think I think I think they don't get any cooler than Ricky Fowler. Uh, who wouldn't want to be Ricky Fowler being his president? So that would probably be my three today.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, listen, buddy, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Anybody out there that wants to learn more about Tom, you can go to Tom Patrick Golf Services online, see all of his stuff. Great, a great lover of the game, great teacher, and... Uh, You know, it'll it'll be a wonderful experience. But thanks so much for for joining us,
3: Russ. I I, it's always a pleasure spending time with you, Pat. I love you very much. Thanks for inviting me on. I really appreciate it. Okay, Bud. Take care. Yes,
1: sir. Russ and Tom, this was fantastic. Uh, I just loved hearing the stories and and just sat back and enjoyed it. And Russ, thank you so much for bringing Tom on the show today.
2: Uh, My pleasure.
1: You bet. And the last thank you always goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Opus Private Clients Wall style podcast with the team from Opus Private Client LLC. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when they come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Opus Private Client LLC, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to the Wealth Style Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or Opus Private Client LLC, and opinions stated are their own. Russ Carpentieri, Registered Representative and Financial Advisor of Park Avenue Securities LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS member FINRA SIPC, Financial Representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Opus Private Client LLC is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Opus Private Client LLC is not registered in any state or with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission as a Registered Investment Advisor. Russ's California Insurance License Number 0C72511. Compliance Approval Number 2020-109111, Expiry 09 of 22.